love that. I bet I've seen it a thousand times. How many of you have seen Cars 1 before? I came out about the time my first son was born. All gas, no tires, short-term game, long-term loss. Why do you need to go to the pits? The goal is to win the race. We're starting a two-week teaching series today called Pit Stop, finding rest in the race. And the reality is, as the rookie Lightning McQueen would discover, he couldn't finish the race without prioritizing the pit stop. Anybody going to the Indy 500 next week, baby, come on, man. The greatest spectacle on earth is happening. I went to the 100th running. It's amazing. They start three wide going hundreds of miles an hour around that first turn, man. It's nuts. They're so loud as they go flying by. But the true race fans know the race is really won in the pit stop, not just on what happens in the track. And if I could just share with you, as a church, if you are new to Mercy Road, again, welcome. We often talk about being world changers of the faith. We just mentioned it last week. We studied heaven five weeks. We said, now go bring heaven now and really change this world to make it look like the way Jesus would want it to. We love to do as a church. But the problem is, if we don't prioritize pit stops with the Lord and just being with Jesus, we will never see the accomplishments we really want to see happen, happen. Turn to Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 38, as we study God's word together. As you're turning to Luke chapter 10, 38, will you put your hands together and welcome those who are joining us live online right now through the power of the internet. Glad you're here. Hope you connect with God. Be sure and share this on your social media of choice. How many of you are like super busy right now? You just feel really busy and overwhelmed. Yeah, okay, like a few of you are. The rest of you, you are all well-rested liars. So <laughs> glad we could all confirm that. You know, I, my parents are retired now. They're in their 70s, and I swear they are busier than they've ever been in their life. They're, all, they're never at home. They're always doing something. In American culture, we love doing we love accomplishing. We even tell people here we are sleeping giants of the faith, waiting to be awakened to the reality of Jesus, to go out and change the world. But we have to do Luke chapter 10 first. And some of you are familiar with this passage, and you need to just let these verses sink in a little bit. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Ready to study God's word, church. It says this. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. Now, Martha in our culture would be the good person. She's a hard worker here, as we'll see in a moment. She's busy preparing everything. And then Mary, if we're honest in our society, that lazy, slothful woman is not doing anything. She's just hanging out with Jesus while Martha does all of the work. What a sinner. Look what Martha says here. Verse uh, 40. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Now. I want it done. It's not right making me do all the work. She's got to work too. It's like my kids arguing about cleaning a room together. You got to make him do it too. 
He comes to Jesus and says this, and look how Jesus responds to this. The reality is in our American church culture, we would actually celebrate the Marthas. We love doers, but look what Jesus says here. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better. And I think this is the key part. There's nothing wrong with what Mary's doing. We need to not just be with the Lord. We need to go and do for the Lord. We need people to volunteer. We're going to celebrate the 365 volunteers in Mercy Road Church tonight, 6 o'clock, free pizza. We just want to thank you and celebrate that. But what Jesus says is actually what Mary is doing is better. The bigger priority than even doing and preparing things for the Lord. He says, and it will not be taken away from her. You'll find as we talk about this together, I believe you really find rest when you're with the Lord and and get your spiritual batteries charged. And Mary in this passage prioritized just being at the feet of Jesus. The big question I want to ask, and then we're going to pray, is this. How do you find rest in the race? When do you take your pit stops to get restored, renewed, refreshed? What does that look like in your life? Because scriptures teach very clearly that we're going to look at, we're going to use Luke chapter 10 and look at other passages in scripture about how the priority of rest with Christ in our life, what does that look like in the busyness of your race? Will you pray with me? God, we mentioned the day of Pentecost and we just acknowledge the presence of your Holy Spirit with us right now. God, some of us came in this room for the very first time. Some of us haven't been in a church facility in a really long time. We just started this church for people just like that. And so, God, I believe that you're real and that you're with us. And no matter where we're at spiritually, if we've been a dedicated Christian for many, many decades or we're brand new to this whole thing, we pray the Holy Spirit that is with us speaks to us in a real way through Scripture. Take my words away, God. Replace them with yours. We love you and we dedicate this time to you. We pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. I don't know what your busy life looks like. Maybe you're the student that just got done with another year of college or grad school and you've been putting in 16-hour days, staying up till 3 in the morning studying and writing papers. Or maybe you're in that empty nest stage of life and statistically it says that in our culture you volunteer more hours than any other people group in American culture. Or maybe you're like me. You're in the stage of life where you or your friends are having children right now. I got three kids, nine, soon to be six, and three years old. And here's what my life is like. Usually the week begins with us waking up at six or seven in the morning and the three-year-old coming in, smacking us and waking us up because he's the first to wake up every day. We get up, we go downstairs, we prepare, you know, try and get the kids breakfast if we're being really good that day, and then we get them ready for school, and one of them gets on the bus to go to real school, and then my daughter, she has to go to preschool, so we got to drive her there, and then my three-year-old comes home for the rest of the day where my wife stays with him and literally follows the tornado around the house, picking up 12 times a day every single room. It's exhausting, and then I get the, the much easier job. I go to work, and And Sherry, uh, the executive assistant here, she's making meetings for me, and I'm talking with people all day long, planning things, praying for things, reading scripture, trying to see what God's doing in our midst. We're starting a a conference here in November. We're starting a magazine. We started a church planting network. We're sending. We're seeing God start all these outposts, these network of micro churches we call outposts, living on mission in their community. So many things we're 
doing? And if I could just find time to do it all. And then hopefully I text my wife during the day one time just to see how her day's going. But half the time I forget to do that. And then I go home. And that's when my wife's harder job starts because like when the oldest son gets home at three o'clock off the bus, he's always cranky and in a bad mood because he needs to eat something and he doesn't drink water all day because he doesn't like the drinking fountains at school and he gets dehydrated. So he comes home finally, she has to deal with that nonsense and then we get to dinner time and then the fun begins all over again. If we're being good that week, maybe we have a frozen dinner we could throw into the microwave or onto the stovetop, and then we get the kids around the dinner table because we're good Christians, we're going to sit and have a family dinner together, and you're going to like it. We hold hands and we pray for one another. That's actually my favorite moment of the whole day. And then chaos ensues. The three-year-old starts stuffing everything he can find into his face and all over his clothing. More goes outside of the mouth than it does inside, but he can eat twice as much as the other two combined. My daughter usually complains about what we're eating that day, and my oldest son never wants to eat anything, period. The guy doesn't even like cheese. Who doesn't like cheese? And three people at the last service said me, and I was like, I'm going to pray for your salvation. Cheese is amazing. And then at the end of the dinner, we're all exhausted from that experience. We have to clean the whole thing up, and then it is bath time. And no kid ever wants to take a bath, and we have to make them. It takes forever. They go take the bath, and then it's supposed to be bedtime where we could pray and read a story together, maybe read the Bible together. But no, no, no. In the kids' world, that's when second dinner begins. Dad, I got to I got to eat. I'm starving. You don't want me to starve you. Why didn't you eat at dinner time? I wasn't hungry then. Well, you're hungry now. And usually I'm soft in a cave. I'm like, I don't want you to waste away to nothing. Just go downstairs quick. Get something. I don't care. Ice cream, whatever you want. Oh, and then maybe I'll like sneak a granola bar into them in their bed. I know I'm a bad parent, but I do these things. And like an hour after they were already supposed to be asleep, we finally get them into the bed only to then hear, dad, I want to hear a story. I'm too tired. I had eight cups of coffee just to make it to this moment. You need a story? I don't know. Okay, fine. And then they pull out the longest book they could possibly find. They don't care if it's the encyclopedia or reading from a dictionary. As long as it extends their day 30 more seconds, that's what they want you to read. By the time we get all done and we say our prayers, I go downstairs, finally five minutes with my wife. We're going to watch our favorite television show together. Honey, what do you want to watch tonight? Oh, I want to watch Say Yes to the Dress. I don't want to watch Say Yes to the Dress. And some of you, like my wife, she's in the Middle East, and she found time to get on the television. Some of you got up at 4 a.m. the other day, to watch a wedding happen in another country around the world. And you're, class, you're celebrating. How many of you loved it? You loved every movie. I know you did. What is wrong with you? I'm like, I don't want to watch Say Yes to the Dress. I want to watch American Pickers on the History Channel. This sounds amazing. That's so boring. And then we debate it, and eventually we just go to bed, and we start the whole process over again the next day. And that's what life looks like for us right now. It may not be what yours looks like right now. I find no matter what stage of life you're in, we always find something to fill our day with. We lack the ability to prioritize really connecting with the Lord or finding rest or physical sleep or exercise at all because we have so many things we need to do. And we get run down, broken down. Before we know it, we've run out of gas out there on the track or we've popped a tire. 
and we don't know what to do. And I want to tell you today that God doesn't just want to restore those of us here today. He wants to rescue us as well, if that's you. But what I'd like to do is to talk about the biblical priority of finding rest, that we need more Marys at the feet of Jesus. And here's four biblical insights on rest. I'm going to move quickly if you're taking notes. The first one is this, God rested. I find that really significant. In the creation story in Genesis chapter 2, verse 2, it says, By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. I know you've got a really important job and you work really hard to accomplish it, but you didn't create the universe in six days. And I find it really ironic to me, I was thinking about this this week, that of all the things in the creation story, God of could have prioritized to set the example for us. He, he didn't have to rest, right? Like he's God, he's all-powerful, all all-knowing. I believe he chose to rest, to, to set the example for us as human beings. And what I find interesting, he didn't choose some other things that we'd love to learn how to do, like how to have a healthy marriage. Why didn't he do that on the seventh day? Or how to, you know, raise children, or how to have a healthy stewardship of our finances. You know, he didn't create the universe on the seventh day, do the Dave Ramsey class. Like, he didn't do that. He chose to set the example of how to rest. It was that big a priority. It was one of the Ten Commandments. It's one of the things throughout Scripture he said we must do as followers of him. Now, I want to tell you as I share that, I believe we live under the New Covenant. You can read that throughout the New Testament. I believe that uh, we today as Christians, that Jesus changed the way that we celebrate the Sabbath, that we don't have to be legalistic about this, but we must prioritize rest, and we will look at how he did that. It's crazy to think that God rested. He didn't need to, but he set the example. Number one, God rested. Number two, you, yes, you are meant for rest. You're meant to rest. It should be a priority in your life. Exodus 20, verses 8 to 11 says this. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. If you're like, what's the Sabbath? In, in the Jewish customs, on the, the seventh day, their Saturday, they would have a day of rest. You literally did no work, none at all. You didn't prepare food. You didn't do anything. Like uh, my, my family, on my mom's side growing up, were Mennonite. And while they didn't practice a, a legal Jewish Sabbath day, they... They always did popcorn and apples for dinner on Sunday night so that no one had to prepare food that day because they want to prioritize just rest with the Lord that day. Verse 9, it goes on in Exodus 20, it says, Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter nor your male or female servant nor your animals. Like your puppy dog wasn't even supposed to do work. <laughs> Fido wasn't allowed outside. It was a day of rest. Nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For the six day, in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. That you could actually accomplish more in six days with God in your court than seven days on your own, grinding it out. And that's really what Lightning McQueen learns in that, that movie, right? Like, he feels like he doesn't need a team. He doesn't need anybody. He doesn't need a crew chief. I'm just going to go out and grind it out on my own. And he can't make it through the whole race that way. But by the end, as we'll watch here in a little bit, he learns the value of the pit stop and being restored and renewed so that he can finish the race well. 
The question I want to ask you is, what do you do to rest? What do you do to rest? Now, again, I want to make clear, I'm, I'm not saying that you have to have a legalistic Sabbath in your life. You can look at Colossians chapter 2 and other places, but I am going to highly emphasize the important role of having a day of rest in your life. It's important. But what, is, what truly brings rest to you? What, I'm going to go where I go with this because I am a doer by nature. I've been preaching to myself all weekend. It's been a fun message four times to hear this over again, that I need rest. I know that. And so what I usually think of of the ways I'd like to rest are things that bring fun to my life that avoids the things that keep me busy. So it gets my mind off of work. Maybe for you, that's to go and go for a jog or to read a book, or maybe it's to Go shopping, that's what you do just to kind of check out for a little bit. I know you do it. Some of you, you love to watch Netflix or your favorite show on there. But what I find really interesting is Jesus never demonstrates any of those things as rest in the New Testament. Right? It's not like Jesus was like having a difficult decision he had to make. He knows he's going to go to the cross the day before. And so he says, hey, just a second, guys, before I make this decision, I got to go watch three episodes of The Office on repeat and Netflix just to veg out and get restored. No, he goes and he spends time alone with his heavenly father. The night before when he's betrayed, he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane and prays all night. That's where he found rest. I find that really interesting. And none of those things I described are bad. Like we should exercise certainly and your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And you need to get actual physical sleep and you need to care for your physical body. And going for a jog or reading a book or doing those things are great ways to spend it. But have you ever been on a vacation and come back more tired than when you left? And that's what rest looks like us, to us sometimes. We just busy ourselves even more. We have to actually recharge our spiritual battle, uh, batteries to head into pit row and be restored so that we can go back into the race. Now, this isn't legalistic. Jesus on the Sabbath heals a, a man's hand. He, he picks grain, or, uh, grain and he eats it on the Sabbath, which would have been considered wrong in their culture. He preaches and tells them these things on the Sabbath. In Mark chapter 2, verse 27, Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. That the point of the day of rest is it is to serve us, to restore us, so that w- then we can go out and be used to make an impact in the culture around us. The Sabbath should serve you. It's not an obligation, something you feel like you have to do, but something that you get to do because you, number two, are meant to rest. But here's the thing. Number three, while I'm not preaching a legalistic practice of the Sabbath on either Saturday or Sunday, I am telling you, Scripture is clear on this. Number three, this is pretty blunt, not resting is actually disobedience to God. We don't think of it that way but it really is. Look, look what Hebrews chapter 4 says, and somebody mentioned this to me, that Hebrews 4 is really about trusting the Lord. It says in verse 9, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one, look at this, will perish by following their example of disobedience. That the disobedience of not Trusting God enough to prioritize rest and connection with him, that you could accomplish more with him in your corner by going into pit row and and being restored by him, that it could actually lead to, I believe, spiritually dying and decay, and even sometimes physically 
being destructive to your life. It's clear in that passage, at least, it's actually disobedience not to trust him in that way. And here's the thing. I was with a group of pastors one time, and they were talking about that if a lead pastor committed adultery, they would be asked to step down from their, their, their role at the church for cheating on their spouse, and rightfully so. If a pastor cheated on their taxes and last, lacked integrity, we would ask them to step down from their leadership role because we don't want someone like that leading. If a pastor, you know, cheated on their life and began to choose drugs and alcohol over serving God in their life, eventually that we'd be asked them to have obviously step down from their role because they have an addictive habit in a sinful area of their life. But if somebody cheated on their Sabbath day as a lead pastor in American church culture, we would probably applaud them because we don't value rest in our culture. And yet throughout Scripture, God clearly valued it. It was the only thing in the creation story he set the example to do. It was one of the Ten Commandments. He prioritized it. It was that big a deal. I believe that Satan sometimes, what he wants to do is, if we can't get us to mess up in the big ways, the cultural ways I described, then he just gets us really, really busy. So like Martha, we get distracted and we never spend time at the feet of Jesus hearing from him being restored by him. Lightning McQueen may have been a rookie driver, but he eventually learned the value of the pit stop. Let's watch this uh, second clip together. Inside, but he's still nearly a lap down. Can he catch up to them with only 60 laps to go? Yeah. You're going great, kid. Just keep your head on. Hi, bye, bye. Hey, Trippy. Where did McQueen find you, huh? Those round things are called tires, and they go under the car. <laughs> You will have your chance, Guido. You will have your chance. Oh, kids just trying to be a hero, huh? But what do you think of this? Yeah, that's it, kid. What a move by McQueen. He's caught up to the leaders. Oh, yeah. This is what it's all about. Three-way battle for the lead with 10 to go. Can you get back to the pits? Yeah, yeah. I think so. Hey, got a yellow. Bring it in. Don't tear yourself up, kid. We gotta get him back up there fast, or we're gonna be a lap down and we'll never win this race. Rito, it's time. Hey, Tiny, you gonna clean his windshield? <laughs> That was the fastest pit stop I've ever seen. It was a great stop, but he's still got to beat that race car out. It's going to be close. Yay! Yeah, he's back in the race. Pit stop. 
I love that. Guido's like the best character too. Anything in Italian sounds way better. But he learned the value of the pit stop. And he's able to finish the race well because of it. And he began to trust his crew and especially his crew chief to care for him. I think as followers of Jesus, if we want to finish the race well, we have to value that pit stop to trust our crew chief enough to go in and trust that he's going to help us finish the race. In fact, it takes preparation and priority to have a good, healthy pit stop like that. See, some of us, spiritually, we need to plan and prepare better to rest and connect with the Lord. My mentor, Glenn, who was here a few weeks ago from Southern California, he used to have this thing that he would coach us on as a staff that he would take out his his calendar. He had a, a literal day planner that he'd flip through. Maybe you need to take your calendar out tonight. Maybe it's on your phone, your Google calendar. Sit down and just look through it and pray through it. Pray through it with your family. And he would say, pray through that calendar and say, God, what are the things that are truly important? And what are the things that aren't as important as I think they are? And inevitably, God would say there are certain things he would take out of his calendar for the week that at the beginning he thought was the most important thing. And then he he would put things back into his calendar that he hadn't prioritized, that he realized God really wanted him to. Some of you need to pray and look through your calendar and prioritize time to find rest in the Lord. If if you don't do that, if you don't protect a, a Sabbath day of rest, if you don't prioritize daily connecting with him, you are going to miss out because it's not just about you either. Your, your co-workers, your family, your friends, those in the, your community that needs to see the light of Christ in you, they will never see it if you're just exhausted all of the time and never have your spiritual batteries restored. The fourth and final point is this, fourth biblical insight, to find rest in Christ. You could spend all day long just laying around on the couch or vegging out on your phone. My, my new thing, I don't know why I got really into the Jeopardy app. That, <laughs> that Alex Trebek, man, I don't know. He just like, yeah, got really into it. And you can veg out and do all those things. You do some of those things too. Don't look at me like that. Like, and if you don't prioritize actually connecting with the Lord, that I find just five or ten minutes with the Lord could restore me more than hours worth of actual physical rest and vegging out. And it takes finding rest in him. That's why in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30, Jesus said this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Why is it that some of us who have been Christians a while, we're always doing for the Lord and so tired and never actually see and experience this passage? The analogy he's using of this, if you don't know what a yoke is, the the arches that go over two oxen's back and the strongest oxen would pull more of the load. And he's saying, because Jesus is the strong oxen, he is making it easier for you to pull the load that you're carrying. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls, not just your body. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We search for rest in so many ways rather than the one thing that could bring us true, authentic rest, we believe as Christians. So if you're like, well, how do I actually find rest in Christ? Really quickly, I'm just really quickly, I'm gonna give you three ways to do that. Number one, prioritizing time with the Lord in Scripture. It could be for five minutes a day. If you've never done it before, you could download the YouVersion Bible app on your phone, and, and literally it has a verse of the day every day that if you just 
read that verse and you applied SOAP, it's an acronym we use that stands for scripture. You read the scripture, observe what it meant in its context, apply it to your life, and then spending time in prayer to the Lord that could take five minutes and I believe it could be life-changing and restorative to your soul. Some of you have been Christians for a long time and you need to kind of up the ante a little bit. You need to go a little deeper, study a little more scripture. I talked to somebody the other day that they prioritized the first hour of their day spending time with the Lord. And, and that just seems impossible to most of us. But when you prioritize things in your calendar, it can happen. Number one, prioritize time in scripture to pray. Number two, take a Sabbath every week, every week. And again, I'm not saying be legalistic about this. But have a day on your calendar where it's like today is going to be about resting with the Lord, with my family, of just being rejuvenated and restored. I don't know what that looks like for you. On my calendar, it's Fridays. I protect that day. If you send me text messages and emails, I am not going to respond to that on that day. I don't care how many you send because if we don't prioritize it, we'll never be able to finish the race well. We got too many Marthas and not enough Marys in the church. The third way to rest in Christ that I wanted to share with you is then to make time for worship like we're doing together today, fasting and other spiritual disciplines. If you're like, what is a spiritual discipline? It is prioritizing the discipline of connecting with God on a regular basis in your life. I went for a jog uh, this last week, and I ran by this couple that was having a little day, a lunch date together, uh, sitting outside uh, for lunch. And I was like, oh, that's so cool and sweet. And as I jogged by, and I was watching for a while because we're jogging really slowly, <laughs> I, I see the entire time I'm slowly jogging by, they're sitting at the same table together on their phones the entire time. And it reminded me of this passage in Luke chapter 10 of Martha having Jesus in her present. And it's like she's on her phone just busying herself with all the stuff of life rather than just sitting down at his feet and connecting with him. He desires to connect with you. A plan for rest without Christ in the middle of it is like taking your hand and sticking it in the toaster and expecting the batteries to be recharged. You gotta put Christ in the middle of it. That's what recharges your spiritual batteries that's why the psalmist says this in uh, Psalm 23, 3, that he, God, is the one who restores my soul. And I have met so many people, the older we get and the more cups of coffee we drink every day, just to get through the day, we just get more and more exhausted. And then when we have difficulty in our marriages or in our dating life or in our finances or in our job or our career and we're running out of gas and we blow a tire, we feel like we just have no hope to turn to. That's why he tells us daily to connect with him and to prioritize once a week to get restored by him. But I'll tell you this, if you blow it like McQueen does in the movie and you, you blow a tire out there on the track, he doesn't give up on you. He continues to pursue you. He's going to get in the wreck route. He's going to bring you into pit row and restore you all over again. That's what he says throughout the New Testament. That's what he came to do, that he pursued us, that he created human beings and they rebelled against them. And so he partnered with the people of Israel, but they didn't listen either. So he set the prophets and when they didn't change, he sent his only son, Jesus, God incarnate, Emmanuel, God with us because he pursues us and he pursues us and he pursues us and he won't give up no matter how distracted we get like Martha and we're running around with the busyness, just exhausting ourselves. He's gonna say, I'm here. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. 
Let me pull the load for you and be restored by me. That would be my heart and my desire for each of us, that we're not just human doings, that we are human beings with Jesus. Will you pray with me? God, I confess that too often in our churches today, in our church as well, that we do, that we celebrate the Marthas. And that's what we want to do, God, but only if we first are being with you. And the true people I see serving you in that way, they prioritize being with you. And so, God, we confess we need more Marys. And maybe many of us here today who have been Christians for a while, we haven't prioritized a a day a week just to kind of connect and restore and be refreshed. And we work every day. Or maybe we don't make daily time just to connect with you, to take it into pit row and get a fresh set of tires to go back out onto the track. If that's you here and you're a Christian and you would like to be refreshed and restored, just pray this with me. God, I confess that I don't trust you enough to prioritize sometimes connecting with you first, being at your feet first, Jesus. And I want to begin to do that. Help me to just prioritize being with you on a daily and weekly basis. And then for some of us, maybe many of us at this service, maybe you're here and you know that you haven't really prioritized the relationship with Jesus at all. And I've met so many atheist or agnostic friends of mine who often want me to convince them to become a Christian. And I always encourage them just to begin to talk to you, God. And maybe there is someone here today that they're just going to try that. That's going to be their first step. That the thing that changed Saul's life into Paul that we named this church after in Acts chapter 9 wasn't people convincing him he needed to be a Christian, but was one authentic encounter with the risen Jesus. And maybe there is one person or many people here today or watching online that just need to get to know you a little bit. And they're going to start setting time aside daily just to talk to you. If that's you here in the room and You don't know what that even looks like yet, but you want to try it. I want to give you this opportunity. Pray this with me silently as I pray it out loud. God, I want to try getting to know you. I don't even know what that fully looks like, but I'm going to trust you enough to begin to talk to you. And I pray one day I would begin hearing back from you. So I'm going to surrender a moment, five minutes a day, just to connect with you, Jesus. God, you know those who are praying that in this room right now or who are doing it online, they want to get to know you, find rest in you, and be restored. May you rescue even those of us who feel hopeless, Lord. We love you, and we prioritize you in our lives. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all God's family said, amen.